Welcome to The Chapel Online. At The Chapel, we're about helping people meet, know, and follow Jesus on the campus, in the city, and around the world. We want to thank you for praying for our leaders. Thank you for praying for our church. Thank you for, to those of you who have prayed for me as I've gotten to step in here. It's been such a great ride to be able to meet so many of you and be with you here through Romans. But we don't want to just thank you for praying. We want to invite you to share if there's anything that God has been revealing to you as you have prayed. So that's what these cards are for. Uh, we want to invite you, if you have been led to some thoughts or some ideas or to some scriptures or uh, something along those lines in your time of prayer, specifically uh, when it comes to this transition here at Segan, we want to invite you to write that down and, and give it to us. You can drop it in the buckets on the way out uh, because we want to read all of them. We want to take into consideration the things that God is revealing to you as a part of this church. And the next step for us is to gather your prayers, to talk together as a staff and, and leadership team about uh, what God revealed to us. And as a church engaging in this together, we want to take what God revealed to you into consideration. So during the service, feel free to write something down. Or if you want to stay for a couple minutes after the service in your seat and write that down, you can turn it in uh, after that as well. If you would, put your name and email on it. Uh, but we would just love to be able able to see what God has been, uh, been speaking. Uh, and, uh, and please continue to pray as we, as we move through this. So I want to take an opportunity to pray for you, to pray for our leaders as they continue to pray and have conversations and pray for our time uh, in the Word today. So join with me. Father, we're so grateful for Jesus. And the more we are learning in Romans, the things that you have done have changed everything. And we're so grateful that it doesn't have to do with us, but it is all about you and what you have done. So Lord, I pray for uh, the elders and the leaders of the chapel as they continue to pray, as they continue to, uh, to lead through this transition and, and come to uh, some decisions about what is next here at this location. Uh, so I pray that you'd give guidance and unity and, and wisdom uh, as, uh, as all that plays out. And Lord, I thank you for the things that you're continuing to do through your word. And today I pray that, that your word would come and speak because we're wasting our time if it's only my words that we hear. So if there's anything that I've planned to say that's not of you, would you take it out of my mind? And if there's anything you want to say that I've not thought of, would you come and speak? Because we want to be transformed. And the only way that happens is your word being applied to our hearts by your spirit. So would you come and speak in Jesus' name? Amen. Now, we have been in a series in Romans, chapter 5 through 8, and we're going to be finishing chapter 6 today. And chapter 6, the more I spend time in it, I'm convinced that this chapter needs to be one of those chapters in our Bible that is so worn that when our Bibles naturally open, it falls to Romans 6 to find out who we are. The fact that we are not just forgiven in the death of Jesus, but we're actually transformed. That we have been united to Jesus in his death and in his life. We looked at last week how we are actually dead to sin. That we have been set free because of Christ's death. And we don't just share in those benefits, but we actually share in his life and in his death. And that changes everything. 
Romans 6 needs to constantly be one of those places we go back to remind ourselves of what he's done. I would imagine some of you have had that, that famous anxiety dream, right? Where maybe you had graduated high school some time ago, and, uh, but you have a dream where you didn't pass a test or you forgot to show up to a class or something and all of a sudden you didn't graduate, right? Has anybody ever had that, had that dream? Yeah, so some of us in the room and you wake up in a cold sweat and you're panicked and you're like, what do, what do I do? I don't actually know if I've graduated. What is the right thing to do in that moment, you go find your diploma and you stare at it until the truth that it is declaring to you sinks into your mind. That's what Romans 6 can be for us. Whenever we're tempted to put our hope in the things of this world rather than in the life to come, Whenever we're tempted to fall back into a life of sin, whenever it's hard to keep going, whenever we have doubts over who God is, we can go back to Romans 6 and remember what he has declared to be true. Because there's not this automatic switch that just happens when we follow Jesus to where we're never going to want to sin again and everything's easy and suffering's gone. Quite the contrary. We need to be reminded over and over and over again, not just what Christ has done, but who we are as a result. For those who have decided to follow Jesus, you have been changed. And maybe you're here and you've not decided to follow Jesus yet. I'm so glad that you're here. And as Paul continues to unpack his argument through Romans, he talks about what happens to those that give their life to Jesus. And that opportunity is always available to you. And my prayer has been that the word will drive you to want the unification with Jesus. And towards the end of our service, I'll let you know how you can do that. But as we continue to go through Romans 6, I have to laugh because um, I, uh, I wasn't a part of putting this series together several months ago. And the more I've gotten into it, I'm like, cool, thanks, Kevin. You have given me some softballs that every single week I have to talk about sin, right? We're talking about sin and what it does and what it is in us and how do we live in a life, in a world where sin still exists. And it's going to be another one of those today. We're going to dive into what sin is and what sin does. The second part of Romans 6 is very similar to what we talked about last week. It's the same structure. Paul gives us some questions that people were asking in the church of Rome. And then he, he gives his answer by saying, don't you know what's true? Don't you know what is true of you? The questions that he's going to look at sound very similar. Some interpreters actually think that he's just repeating himself. But I think what he's doing is using the same argument structure to make two different points that address a problem that arises out of a misunderstanding of grace. So that's where we're going to go today. But before we do, I want to bring up worldview again. I hope, I hope nobody's getting tired of me bringing up worldview every week. But the more I spend time in Romans, the more I realize there are things within us that will make it really hard for us to believe what Paul is actually saying. Last week, we looked at our worldview in America, specifically how it relates to truth. And so often we believe what is true to be what feels right. And we live in a culture that tends to prioritize feelings over facts. 
And Paul's argument last week was all about, hey, I need you to know what is true and act accordingly, no matter how you feel. Today, we're going to have another worldview conflict. We're going to look at what the Bible has to say about freedom. Now, in America, we love the concept of freedom. We love being individuals. We love the idea that we get to do what we want. We don't want anybody to tell us what to do what not to do. We tend to make our decisions based on how it affects me rather than how it affects my community, how many people around the world actually think. We we pride ourselves in being in a country that has freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom to vote. And normally we take that to mean I get to do whatever I want. But Paul's going to give us a definition of freedom that pushes against that. What Paul is going to say today is freedom means you are free to make yourself or to choose who to make yourself a slave to. There are a lot of different words and ideas in that sentence that might make some of you uncomfortable. But I'm just going to kind of let it dangle there awkwardly for a bit and I'm going to come back to it and unpack it later. But that's where Paul wants to bring us this morning. So we're going to be in Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 15. If you have your Bibles, you can open up there. I am going to start from 15 in the the NIV and read it for us, but it'll also be on the screens. And this is what it says. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one that you obey? whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Now I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity, and to ever-increasing wickedness. So now, offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things that you're now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, the question that Paul starts off with is very similar to what he started off with last week. Today, we we see him say, what then shall, shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Last week, he said, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. Now, these sound similar, but they're two different ideas pushing against misunderstandings of grace. Last week, we looked at the the presupposition of the question being, well, if, if grace is a good thing, and if the way to get grace is to sin, then I'll just keep sinning because I'm going to get more and more grace. And Paul pushes against that by saying, if that's your understanding, then you don't understand what being a Christian is. Your identity is no longer as one who sins. You have died to sin, so it doesn't make any sense to live in it any longer. 
This week, the question is slightly different. This week, the question is being asked by someone who is presuming upon sin. The argument would go like this. Well, if if grace comes in when I sin, then why does it matter if I sin? You know, come to think of it, sin is actually fairly fun. There's parts of my old life that I like, and I kind of just want to keep doing these things that kind of make me have a temporary feeling of, of feeling good. So if there's this safety net of grace here, if grace comes in, then why does it matter? Why don't I just keep sinning? And what Paul's going to unpack for us is not that you misunderstand what being a Christian is. That's what he did last week. Today, Paul is going to trigger an argument that says, if that's your question, then you don't actually understand sin. You don't understand how big of a deal it is. You don't understand what it does. And you don't understand how insidious it really is. And I think this is an issue that we have in churches in America. And I would even say at our church here at the chapel, that because of grace, we can underplay sin and we can underplay holiness. Because we have grace. We get to do what we want. And it kind of looks like this. I've been in discipleship groups before that we get to the confession time. Uh, usually it's with like three and a half minutes left, right? Because we spent time doing the other fun things. And we, we get to confession time and it, it kind of goes like this. I did it again. Oh man, I am so sorry. Man, I'm, man it sucks that you're still dealing with that. Uh, but don't worry, man. There's, there's grace. There's grace. You're good. Next week. Oh, I did it again. Oh man, it's okay. There's grace. There's forgiveness. Now, for some of you, you might be wondering, it's like, well, that actually sounds like a pretty good progression because those things are true. There is grace, there is forgiveness. But that's not how Paul talks about this. I think if Paul was sitting in there, he would be looking and saying, man, there's grace that abounds over your sin. But don't you know? that that's not who you are anymore? Don't you know that you have been set free? Don't you know that you don't have to do that anymore? But I think because we prioritize grace and we underplay sin and holiness, sometimes that's how we interact over this. But the problem is also true on the other side. I think there's some people that might underplay sin and holiness and there's others that don't underplay it. They just try to accomplish it through the law. So it sounds like this, you're sitting in a discipleship group and confession comes up and, um, and somebody sits across from you and says, man, why did you do that? You got to try harder next time. Maybe you need to add some more rules. Maybe you need to add some more boundaries. Maybe you need to add some more structures so that this won't happen again. And then just try harder. You know the rules, just follow them. That is trying to fight sin with the law. That is trying to fight sin in your own power. And we saw a couple weeks ago that the only thing that law can do is shine a light on the sin that's already in us. It doesn't give us anything that we need to fight it. What we need is Jesus. 
and the power that he has given us as we are united to his life and to his death. So yeah, we're going to talk today about what sin is and what sin does. Welcome to church. It's going to be fun. So if you didn't grow up in church, what is sin? Right? Well, sin wasn't originally a religious word. Uh, in the Greek, what we grab that word and translate into sin, that word was actually borrowed from archery, of all things. Every time you would shoot an arrow at a target, if you were to miss the bullseye, the person who was judging the competition would yell, sin. It just means to miss the mark. The amount of distance between the bullseye and wherever the arrow landed was your, was your sin at that point. So the authors of the New Testament grabbed this word and brought it in to, under, to help us understand that God has a bullseye. God has a perfect target, a perfect moral standard. And if we miss it, it is sin. But we learn in chapter 5 that it's more than that. It's not just the things that we do or don't do that are against God and what he has to say. It's also a nature that is within us. It's something that we inherited as humans from the first human, Adam. We looked at that several weeks ago. And every single person born into this life as a human has a sin nature that wants to rebel against God. And it is only through Jesus that we can be set, set free. So that's what we're talking about when we talk about sin. One other piece of clarification as we jump into this is that this, Paul is not laying out the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian in this passage. He's laying out the opportunity for the Christian to give themselves as a slave to sin and to give themselves as a slave to God, is writing this to Christians, not to differentiate those that follow Jesus and those that don't. So let's dive into this. The first thing that we see sin does is sin brings slavery. Verse 16 again says this, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. What Paul is saying here functionally is when we choose to give ourselves, our body, our minds, our eyes, our heart, our words, when we choose to give ourselves to sin, we are giving sin the opportunity to make us its slaves. And sin is really good at making people its slaves. Now, for clarification, even that word slave, I know, can trigger a lot of feelings and emotions. Uh, maybe some of you in this room, definitely to people in our country. And it's fair and important to acknowledge that the church of Jesus Christ over the centuries has done a terrible job of responding to the atrocities of slavery through a biblical mindset. But that type of slavery is not what Paul is talking about here. Paul is not talking about the kind of slavery that removes people's rights and treats them like animals and like property. He's talking about a legal designation status for people uh, that was known as a bond servant. Now, bond servants was actually a legally protected way to help people get out of poverty. If you were to fall on hard times or lose everything or become impoverished, you could sell yourself to someone with money, they would put you up, feed you, give you room and board, and you would work 
for them. And there were legal provisions that would allow you to buy yourself out of that bond service. Some scholars even estimate that about half of the people living in Rome were bond servants. Now, it wasn't a glamorous job, and, and I would imagine that a lot of people in that state were abused and oppressed and were not treated very well. So we're not saying this is a good thing for people to have to do. It's just different than what we usually think of when we talk about slaves. And his point is to use something that in verse 19 says is a everyday example that everybody would have known about. He's saying that you have the option as those who have trusted in Jesus to make yourself a bond servant to sin or a bond servant to God. You choose it because it feels like a good idea at the time. But when you give yourself to sin, it begins to enslave you. At first, it feels like a nice, cute little puppy that you lock in a closet somewhere. And every once in a while, when nobody's looking, you go and pet your puppy and have a good time and play fetch or whatever. And eventually when you come back, it has grown into a full-grown lion. And it will consume. That is what sin does. Paul in Ephesians, another letter that he wrote to another church in chapter four says, do not give the enemy a foothold. When you imagine a foothold, think of somebody climbing a, a rock wall and they find a very small spot to get their foot in so they can anchor themselves so they can keep, keep climbing. That's what we do when we give ourselves to sin. We give the enemy a foothold. The only problem is the enemy is not satisfied with a foothold. He will keep coming after you until he has what the Bible calls a strong hold over you. And some of you may know what I'm talking about and some of you may be here today and you are in a position where you are, you feel trapped by something that started out innocent. But now you don't know what to do. A couple of guys in our, uh, in our college ministry and some of the staff at our church got together to help some, some college men and now college women I put together some groups of people to fight sexual sin that is running rampant around our country. Sexual sin is one of the more insidious sins when it comes to enslaving people. And several men that are followers of Jesus who are in our college ministry were saying, man, we need to fight this. So they got together to start pursuing freedom. And I asked a couple of them to give me some testimony of what it feels like to be enslaved to sin. And what it begins to look like to move towards freedom. So I'm going to read a couple of these. One young man said this, I was addicted to pornography for almost a decade. I was completely powerless to stop participating in this sin on my own. I felt enslaved to my evil desires. This sin had rewired my brain to the point that whenever I felt a negative emotion, such as loneliness or stress or sadness, I felt as if my body had no other option but to cope using pornography. As this struggle continued, shame became the lens in which I viewed myself. Slavery to sin led to shame, identity issues, and major depression. It was only through Christ that I finally started to walk in freedom. Even when every fiber of my being is crying out for me to sin sexually, I choose to trust that obedience to God is the right thing to do. 
Surrendering every desire to Christ and having him work in my heart is what ultimately has set me free from sin. That doesn't mean that this young man will never sin again. That doesn't mean that it will automatically get easier. It just means that he is beginning to walk in the freedom that God has given him to choose to submit himself to God. Here's another. I know I had given my life to Jesus, but I was still enslaved to this one thing over here. At first, that was very confusing. And I realized that the sin had me stuck in shame. But because I put my hope in Jesus, it took me a while to realize that I had a new identity. Grace is what got me out of shame. Once I was able to get out, I was able to see sin for what it really was. Guilt told me I was doing something wrong. Shame told me I was wrong. That's when I began to move towards freedom. Now, I would imagine that some of you have felt like this before. And in a room this size, I would imagine that some of you have come in with that, with that same level of enslavement. Maybe you're even here wondering, hey, is being in church going to be something that can free me from this? What are, the, what are the things that I can do? How can I get out of this? How can I break these shackles? These are things we don't talk about in church near enough. And words we don't talk about near enough. But for those who have given their lives to Jesus, your old self is dead. That's a fact. Even if it doesn't feel that way. Does that make it easy to walk in slavery to God, which I'll use synonymously with the word freedom? Does it make it easy to walk in slavery to God and obedience and righteousness? No, not for the rest of our lives. But because of Jesus, we have all the power that we need. If you're here today and you have not decided to follow Jesus, the biblical worldview is such that your only option is actually slavery to sin. It's not a fun thing to hear. But that's why the gospel of Jesus is so incredibly critical. Because left to ourselves and our own devices, all we will do is throw ourselves back in prison and throw away the key. And this issue of sexual sin that these, these young men are talking about here is not just a male issue. This is something that is running rampant in the whole church and around our country. And maybe you're hearing those stories and you're like, man, I wish I was in uh, college because they've got a group that is working on this together. If you find yourself stuck and you need some help, I would love for you to reach out to us. Send an email to connect at thechapelbr.com and we would love to help walk with you through that. But the reality is, this is what sin does. That's all sin does. This is not supposed to be a warning to stir up fear in those that follow Jesus. This is just supposed to be an anatomy lesson in what sin is. And when we underplay it and we say, grace is there, I'm good, I'm just going to do what I want, sin be able, is able to take that foothold and continue to come after us. Now, I made the statement earlier that the way Paul talks about freedom is that we are free to choose who to make ourselves a slave to. In the biblical worldview, the way that America thinks about freedom is a foreign concept. 
The idea that we are autonomous individuals that have freedom to do whatever we want and it doesn't affect anybody else is not a biblical concept. The biblical concept is the freedom that Jesus has given us enables us to follow God or to choose to continue to follow sin. This is how Peter says it in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. This is how Paul says it to the church in Galatia. Chapter 5, he says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Jesus took you away from that. You don't need to put yourself again into slavery to sin. You have freedom to follow God. And in our text today, Paul says it this way in verse 17, but thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. The message is the same. Jesus purchased freedom in the past tense. It has been done. We will celebrate that today through communion. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And if you have given your life to Jesus and trusted in him, your old self is gone. But that does not mean that we will never again wander towards the slavery of sin. And even though sin's power has been broken, we looked at that last week, sin is all too eager to welcome us back. Now, I mentioned last week that sometimes it can be dangerous to talk about Romans, this four-chapter argument, in little chunks, right? It would be like me um, bringing you over and you've never seen The Lion King, and I show you a five-minute clip, and, you, and I say, okay, tell me about The Lion King. You're not going to be able to do it that right, right? We need the whole context, and it would be really easy in a message like this without having just gone back through Romans 5, for someone in here to start thinking, I can't do that. I know what temptations does. I know how much I want to go back to sin. So we have to remind ourselves of the foundations that Paul has set in chapter 5. There is grace that abounds when we sin. That is truth that will never change. This is not for us to be perfect. This is not for us to try to earn God's favor through our works. This is not about us to try harder to stop sinning. Paul's going to talk about all those pitfalls in Romans chapter 7. All he's saying here is, I just need you to know what sin really does. It is not something for us to play around with. It is not for something for us to just presume upon grace. He's explaining the anatomy of sin, but it's more than just becoming a slave. Sin also brings shame. In verse 20, it says this, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reach or did you reap at that time from the things that you're now ashamed of? Those things result in death. You heard the concept of shame in, all, in, the, in the two testimonies that I read. And I love how one said it. He said that guilt tells me that what I did was wrong, but shame tells me that I am wrong. And what shame begins to do is whisper in your ear, you're the problem. Who are you kidding? Coming to church? Coming to community group? If they knew what you had done, they would shun you. You don't have a chance. 
And maybe that's the voice that some of you are even hearing now. That is not the voice of God. And that is straight from the pit of hell. Because Jesus already died to purchase those things. But as we give ourselves to sin and become its slaves, then shame naturally progresses. And then even farther past that, sin brings death. That's what it does. Now, we looked last week at the contextual definition of death. We're not talking about some corpse that's laying here completely unresponsive to the stimuli. Death in the context of sin and relationship with God represents separation. So what this is saying is for the Christian, for those who have given your life to Jesus, the longer you stay enslaved to sin, the more you will begin to feel the results of separation the results of darkness. And it might look something like this. Maybe you used to really be able to connect with God through prayer and through worship and the scriptures, but you're no longer feeling that connection. Maybe it might look like the fruit of the spirit that is normally active in your life is kind of being hampered and you start acting like a jerk. Or maybe it even starts looking like those things that God was bringing conviction over, you don't even feel conviction anymore. And that's a really dangerous place to be. Now, please don't hear me say that while we obey, we earn the blessings of God. That is not what I'm saying. But the anatomy of sin is such that when we choose to engage in it and be enslaved in it, there is a barrier that we begin to feel between us and God. And maybe you are experiencing some of that even today. This is not intended to bring fear. This is not intended to bring shame. Paul's warning here is just to say, just because there's grace, don't presume you can do whatever you want. We need to have a high value on holiness, not in the way that we can accomplish on our own, but only through Christ. Verse 22 says this, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. Notice the movement in these pages or in these verses. No one stands still. When we give ourselves as slaves to sin, we progressively move more in this direction. When we give ourselves as slaves to God, we move progressively in this direction. And remember, this whole argument is about the person that would presume on the grace of God and just continue to sin. And Paul says, no, no, emphatically, no. Don't stick your hand in the den of serpents and expect not to get bit. That's what he's saying. And again, I know, even as I, even as I say this, that it's so easy to remove the context of where we are in the book of Romans and what the gospel has provided for us. That Jesus has died to set us free. But along with Paul, where we go in this, I want to make sure that we have a chance to take a look inside our own selves 
and analyze whether or not we have been giving ourselves to sin. So here's my question for you. What in your life brings death? What in your life has brought about separation? What in your life has brought about darkness? What in your life are you continuing to bring or to run to when the temptations come? My guess is you have either experienced this, are currently experiencing this, or will experience this. All sin does is bring death. So what is that in your life? Whatever it is right now, I want you to grab hold of it as I read these verses out of 1 John. In chapter 1, verse 7, he says this, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. The only answer to this problem is Jesus. He has already paid the penalty. If you are in Christ, he has already freed you from its power but we will not be removed from its presence until we are with him in glory. So what do we do as we try to live in this tension? I think the first thing that we see in these verses is whatever that thing is, whatever that full-grown tiger is, or even that puppy that hasn't had a chance to grow yet, I think we drag it into the light. We come before God and we confess before him. I know that what I am doing is giving myself to sin and I don't feel like I can get out of it. Would you help me? And then engage in a $10 Bible word, repent. Repent just means to acknowledge that the way you're going is not the way you should be going and to turn and go the other direction. That's what repentance means and ask God for his help in that. But don't just let it be between you and God alone. Sin's greatest weapon in keeping us enslaved is secrets. Sin will whisper in your ear, hey, you're safe in anonymity. No one has to know. If anyone found this out, your life is over. It will cost you everything. You must keep it a secret. It just tends to leave out the fact that if you stay, it will lead to death. So church, let me plead with you. If there is sin in your life that you have never told someone, if there is something that you feel enslaved to, Drag it into the light. Tell someone. Reach out for help. God has already purchased your freedom. When God looks at you, if you are in Christ, he sees Jesus. 
He just wants you to live in that freedom. Walk in the light as he is in the light. That doesn't mean that we need to act perfect. That doesn't mean that we will never sin. We still have all of the grace abounding when we do. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is not just that you are forgiven. You can be forgiven and enslaved. But he has given you all the power that you need to walk in freedom. And he has called us to do it together. And as we're majoring on sin today, let us not move past today and forget the gospel. And it is fortuitous that we are getting to celebrate communion as a response to this message. But we still have a long way to go. We still have two more chapters to build out Paul's argument of what does it look like to live in a world where sin is still present, where sin still exists. But his summary today is, man, cool. We've got grace. Let's do what we want. He says, by no means. Because sin will get a hold of you. And that is not what Jesus has made you to be. So church, allow me to pray for you and prepare our hearts for approaching communion where we get to gaze upon the beauty of Jesus and how he responds to this. Man, Father, this is heavy. It's a lot easier to just talk all, all about grace and slide sin under the table. But Lord, we thank you for Paul. We thank you for his words. We thank you that you've shown us this enemy and you've given us the power to fight it. And this battle that we're fighting is one that you have already won. And Lord, if any shame is being felt in this room, I pray in the name of Jesus that it would be removed by the powerful name of Jesus and that our eyes and our hearts would be directed towards the cross. And if there's anybody in this room that has not decided to follow Jesus, I pray that in these moments that we have together in communion and in song, that you would speak to their hearts to know that slavery to sin doesn't just mean that there's bad things being done all the time, but we are enslaved to the desires and the lusts of our own flesh. And Jesus has come to bring freedom. So God, I pray that there would be a spirit of peace over this place as we remember Jesus. As we remember his body broken, as we remember the blood that was spilled. And as we find that diploma and allow it to sink in that you have already won. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. To find out more about the chapel, visit thechapelbr.com.